Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from the story of John G. Patton, the missionary to the South Sea Island cannibals. Uh, these are islands formerly known as the New Hebrides. Now it's called the nation of Vanuatu. Uh, we're in chapter 22. It's called A Native Saint and Martyr. Namoe, one of my Anitiamese teachers, was placed at our nearest village. There he had built a house for himself and his wife, and there he led amongst the heathen a pure and humble Christian life. Almost every morning he came and reported on the state of affairs to me. Without books or school, he yet instructed the natives in divine things, conducted the worship, and taught them much by his good example. His influence was increasing when one morning a sacred man threw at him the kawas, or killing stone, a deadly weapon like a scythe, it was scythe stone in shape and thickness, usually round but sometimes angular, from 18 to 20 inches long. They throw it from a great distance and with fatal precision. The teacher, with great agility, warded his head and received the deep cut from it in his left hand, reserving his right hand to guard against the club that was certain to follow swiftly. The priest sprang upon him with his club and with savage yells. He evaded, yet also received many blows, and rushing out of their hands actually reached the mission house, bleeding, fainting, and pursued by howling murderers. I had been anxiously expecting him, and hearing the noise, I ran out with all possible speed. On seeing me, he sank down by a tree and cried, Missy, Missy, quick, escape for your life. They are coming to kill you. They say they must kill us all today, and they have begun with me, for they hate Jehovah and the worship. I hastened to the good teacher where he lay. I bound up, washed, and dressed his wounds, and God, by the mystery of his own working, kept the infuriated tannies watching at bay. Gradually they began to disappear into the bush, and we conveyed the dear teacher to the mission house. In three or four weeks, he so far recovered by careful nursing that he was able to walk about again. Some petitioned for him to return to the village, but I insisted, as a preliminary, that the harbor chiefs should unitedly punish him who had abused the teacher, and this to test them, for he had only carried out their own wishes. No are accepted, and perhaps one or two others. They made a pretense of atoning by presenting the teacher with a pig and some yams as a peace offering. But I said, no, such bad conduct must be punished, or we would leave their island by the first opportunity. Now, that sacred man, a chief too, had gone on fighting with other tribes, until his followers had all died or been slain. And after three weeks' palaver, they, the other chiefs seized him, tied him with a rope, and sent me word to come and see him punished, as they did not want us, after all, to leave the island. I had to go, for fear of more bloody work. And after talk with them, followed by many fair promises, he was loosed. All appearing friendly for some time and willing to listen and learn, the teacher earnestly desired to return to his post. I pled with him to remain at the mission house until we felt more assured, but he replied, Missy, 
When I see them thirsting for my blood, I just see myself when the missionary first came to my island. I desired to murder him, as they now desire to kill me. Had he stayed away for such danger, I would have remained heathen, but he came, and continued coming to teach us, until, by the grace of God, I was changed to what I am. Now the same God that changed me to this can change these poor tannies to love and serve him. I cannot stay away from them, but I will sleep at the mission house and do all I can by day to bring them to Jesus. Well, it was not in me to keep such a man under such motives from what he felt to be his post of duty. He returned to his village work, and for several weeks things appeared most encouraging. The inhabitants showed growing interest in us and our work, and less fear of the pretensions of their heathen priest, which, alas, fed his jealousy and anger. One morning during worship, when the good teacher knelt in prayer, the same savage priest sprang upon him with his great club and left him for dead, wounded and bleeding and unconscious. The people fled and left him in his blood, afraid of being mixed up with the murder. The teacher, recovering a little, crawled to the mission house and reached it about midday in a dying condition. On seeing him, I ran to meet him, but he fell near the teacher's house, saying, Missy, I am dying. They will kill you also. Escape for your life. Trying to console him, I sat down beside him, dressing his wounds and nursing him. He was quite resigned. He was looking up to Jesus and rejoicing that he would soon be with him in glory. His pain and suffering were great, but he bore all very quietly, as he said, and, and he kept saying, for the sake of Jesus, for Jesus' sake. He was constantly praying for his persecutors. O Lord Jesus, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. O take not away all thy servants from Tana. Take not away thy worship from this dark island. O God, Bring all the Tannies to love and follow Jesus. To him, Jesus was all and in all, and there were no bands in his death. He passed from us in the assured hope of entering into the glory of his Lord. Humble though he may appear in the world's esteem, I knew that a great man had fallen there in the service of Christ, and that he would take rank in the glorious army of the martyrs. I made for him a coffin and dug his grave near the mission house. With prayers and many tears, we consigned his remains to the dust in the certainty of a happy resurrection. Even one such convert was surely a triumphant reward for the missionaries whom God had honored in bringing him to Jesus. May they have many like Namuri for their crown of joy and rejoicing in the great day. We move now to chapter 23, Building and Printing for God. For fully three months, all our available time, with all the native help which I could hire, was spent in erecting a building to serve for church and school. It was 50 feet long by 21 feet 6 inches broad. The studs were 3 feet apart and all fixed by tenon and mortise into upper and lower wall plates. The beautiful roof of iron wood and sugarcane leaf was supported by three massive pillars of wood sunk deeply into the ground. 
The roof extended about three feet over the wall plates, both to form a veranda and to carry the raindrops free beyond the walls. It was made of sugarcane leaf and coconut leaves all around. The floor was laid with white coral, broken small and covered with coconut leaf mats, such as those on which the natives sat. Indeed, it was as comfortable a house of prayer as any man need wish for in the tropics, though having only open spaces for doors and windows. I bought the heavy wood for it on Anitium. Price, 50 pairs of trousers for natives. And these again were the gift of my Bible class in Glasgow, all cut and sewed by their own hands. I gave also 130 yards of cloth, along with other things, for other needful wood. As we were preparing a foundation for the church, a huge and singular-looking round stone was dug up, at sight of which the Tannies stood aghast. The eldest chief said, Missy, that stone was either brought there by Karapanamum, the evil spirit, or hid there by our great chief who is dead. That is the stone god to which our forefathers offered human sacrifices. These holes held the blood of the victim till drunk up by the spirit. The spirit of that stone eats up men and women and drinks their blood, as our fathers taught us. We are in greatest fear. A sacred man claimed possession and was exceedingly desirous to carry it off. But I managed to keep it and did everything in my power to show them the absurdity of these foolish notions. Idolatry had not indeed yet fallen throughout Tana, but one cruel idol, at least, had to give way for the erection of God's house on that benighted land. An ever-memorable event was the printing of my first book in Tanese. Thomas Binney, Glasgow, gave me a printing press and a font of type. Printing was one of the things I had never tried, but having now prepared a booklet in Tannese, I got my printing press into order and began fingering the type. But book printing turned out to be, for me, uh, a much more difficult affair than house building had been. Yet my dogged perseverance gave me success at last. My biggest difficulty was how to arrange the pages properly. After many failures, I folded a piece of paper into the number of leaves wanted, cut the corners, folding them back, and numbering as they would be when correctly placed in the book. And then folding all back without cutting up the sheet, I found now by these numbers how to arrange the pages in the frame or case for printing, as indicated on each side. And do you think me foolish? when I confess that I shouted in an ecstasy of joy when the first sheet came from the press, all correct. It was about one o'clock in the morning. I was the only white man then on the island, and all the natives had been fast asleep for hours. Yet I literally pitched my hat into the air and danced like a schoolboy round and round that printing press till I began to think, am I losing my reason? Would it not be like a missionary to be upon my knees? adoring God for this first portion of his blessed word ever printed in this new language? Uh, Friend, bear with me. And believe me, that was as true worship as ever was David's dancing before the ark of his God, nor think that I did not over that first sheet of God's word ever printed in the Tannese language go upon my knees too, and then, and every day since, 
plead with the mighty Lord to carry the light and joy of his own holy Bible into every dark heart and benighted home on Tana. Yet dangers darkened around me. One day, while toiling away at my house, the war chief and his brother and a large party of armed men surrounded the plot where I was working. They all had muskets, besides their own native weapons. They watched me for some time in silence, and then every man leveled a musket straight at my head. Escape was impossible. Speech would only have increased my danger. My eyesight came and went for a few moments. I prayed to my Lord Jesus, either himself to protect me or to take me home to his glory. I tried to keep working on at my task as if no one was near me. In that moment, as never before, the words came to me, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, I will do it. And I knew that I was safe. Retiring a little from their first position, no word having been spoken, they took up the same attitude somewhat farther off and seemed to be urging one another to fire the first shot, but but my dear Lord restrained them once again, and they withdrew, leaving me with a new reason for trusting him with all that concerned me for time and eternity. Amen. Next time, chapter 24, Heathen Dance and Sham Fight. Heathen Dance and Sham Fight. You won't want to miss that. Thank you for listening. Hey, I do like hearing from you. Please contact me with questions and comments at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. Now, look around the site before you leave. I do believe you'll find much that will be beneficial. There's readings from great preachers, stories from the persecuted church, Bible studies, a whole lot more. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. And Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.